service as you're getting adjusted. So, uh, so good to see you. We are glad you are with us, particularly if this is a first Sunday for you or you are new to us. We hope that you'll have opportunity to meet some folks and get to know others, uh, for we are glad to share who we are with you and are so thankful you are with us. We have friendship pads. We use those as a way of acquainting ourselves with one another. Uh, if you have a moment to uh, put your name on the line, pass it down the pew, and then use that as a way of saying hello to folks later in the service. Uh, that would be most appreciated. Did anybody come this morning thinking you were coming to Sunday school? Um, when I was a student minister in Shelby County a long, long time ago, the story was legendary about the time that Easter happened to fall on the same evening as daylight savings time. And the student minister did not move his clocks forward. And the practice of that congregation was to gather in the sanctuary for Sunday school for an opening assembly before they went to their individual classes. And so the place was packed out. And he was so impressed. What a great day we're going to have. He said, it's wonderful to see such a good crowd here today. Now you're dismissed to your Sunday school classes. <laughs> and nobody knew what to do. Should they have been obeying their pastor and just left the room? Or are they supposed to stay and say, wait a minute, you got it wrong? And I think they worked it out after a few bumpy moments. But this time change is always hard, isn't it? I mean, even falling back can get us maladjusted, and springing forward is even worse. Um, I've had more than one person say, if I fall asleep today during service, it's not you. <laughs> Which is fine with me, because I started preaching at a nursing home, and I got used to all kinds of reactions. <laughs> but no matter where you are today, whether you feel energetic and ready to go, or you're just thinking... This afternoon may be a good time for a nap. I am thankful that you are using today's morning with joy and anticipation. That the God of goodness and grace has called us together. And that the God who loves you is loving you still. And it is my hope and prayer that as we worship this God and as we begin our journey yet again with Jesus through Lent. That you will know of this incredible, wonderful grace revealed through Christ and offered to the world. You're a part of that world. And Christ knows your name, your struggles, your challenges, and promises to be with you. May you ponder these wonderful things as we prepare our hearts, minds, and bodies for worship. Welcome today at Central Baptist Church.
Good morning. Please stand and join me for the call to worship. God of signs and wonders who speaks the world into being. May your word be ever near us on our lips and in our hearts. To hear your word. To be released from what binds us. Help us walk with courage and compassion. join me in prayer. Lord, we all walked in this morning with different needs, different things on our minds, some faced with challenges or decisions, some here just for inspiration and fellowship and the joy that we gained from each other. We are grateful for this blessing of you and for this church and each other. Amen. Oh, please pass the <laughs>
Listen now to the Hebrew scriptures from Deuteronomy 26, verses 6 through 11. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders, and he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God. And bow down before the Lord your God, then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. For the word of the Lord that works its way into us. One of our regular practices in early worship uh, each Sunday is that, uh, that after the sermon, we take a few moments to, uh, to contemplate together, uh, to reflect on what we've heard, to uh, read together a call to prayer, and then to spend a few moments in quiet reflection. Uh, during that time, uh, we invite folks to uh, uh, sit quietly and pray, uh, to reflect with perhaps one of the quotes that you'll find in your orders of worship. Uh, or if you'll notice on either side, there are tables here with candles uh, that you're welcome to come to and to uh, light a candle as to symbolize your prayer to God. Uh, but as we enter this season of Lent, we wanted to take opportunity to, uh, to use this same practice here uh, in the Leaven Worship so that we have the opportunity to uh, still ourselves uh, to, uh, to listen to God, to be attentive to the presence of the divine that is among us now uh, and even beyond us. So uh, what I'll do is I'll play quietly. We'll uh, read our uh, call to prayer together that you will find printed in your bulletins. And then I'll continue to play and we'll have a few, uh, few moments of quiet reflection. Um, and then after that, we will uh, finish with singing a song together. You are peace. So let's pray. God, you are our protector and salvation. You watch out for trouble and defend us in our need. Listen to our fears and us. Hear our complaints. When we are exhausted, you invite us to sit. When we are afraid, when we are ashamed, when we are hateful, when we are wrong, when we are attacked, when we are wounded.
thank you that you're here among us, that your presence is with us. We pray that you would give us the grace to see you, not just here in this place, but even in the, the eyes of the beloved who surround us, God. In the faces of those we will meet on the streets, in our work, especially in the places where we might not expect to see you, God. We thank you for your grace and for your goodness that calls us to new life. ask you for eyes to see, for hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, I invite you to sing with me now as we learn this song together. You are peace.
Let's pray another time, priest. Dear God, we have much for which to be thankful. We're thankful that there's a home to go to. We're thankful that you know how to get us there. We're thankful that you hold our hands when we feel empty and alone and afraid. We thank you for a place like Central Baptist Church where your representatives are here to hold our hands, to lead us, to be with us, to be present with us. And we thank you for the opportunity to support the ministries of a church whose in simplest terms expressed ministry is to hold the hand of those who need to have their hand hold, held and to be led into your presence. And for these things, I am truly grateful this morning. Amen. Please be seated.
As you are able, I invite you to stand with me now for the hearing of the gospel lesson found in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority For it has been given over to me, and I will give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to protect you. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Growing up in Woodford County around some of the most beautiful horse farms, on the entire planet, my oldest son became a bicycle enthusiast. After college, when he would visit us for the summer, he would return home with his luggage no more than a plastic Kroger bag. No, don't disparage him, disparage him. He's 30 years old now and he's graduated. Now he brings his clean clothes home in a plastic laundry basket. But one item he was sure not to forget would be stuffed in the back of his Honda Civic with the rear seats folded down, his bicycle, chomping at the bit to make a quick trip to Wilmore and back, 30 miles. And every once in a while when I would watch him disappear over the hill, my mind would race back to when he was a little boy and how much he stubbornly refused to learn how to ride a bike in the first place. Let's go outside and work on riding your bike. No. Don't you want to learn? No. Why don't you want to learn how to ride a bike? Well, I could fall off and get hurt. But don't you want to go and join the other kids, when you get bigger, not really. Come on, let's, let's give it a try. 
No, I want to stay home. It's going to be okay, I promise. I don't care. And after 10 minutes or so of that familiar back and forth that we parents sometimes experience, you finally play the final card left in your deck. Look, you're going to get up, you're going to go out there, and you're going to have fun, and we'll learn how to ride a bike. You're going to enjoy yourself, even if I have to make you. <laughs> well, obviously, we got through it. But it took a healthy dose of patience and encouragement and endurance and occasionally dog-eared determination. His four-year-old self could only see the risk and the dangers and absolutely none of the benefits that might come his way if he learned how to ride a bike. And around this time of year, as we spring forward with the warmer winds heading our ways with mighty force, Christians embrace the practice of Lent and talk about putting forth effort and embracing training to join alongside our faith in order to take a few risks, to make a few changes, and to grow closer to Christ and the transformation he continually invites us to share. You will never develop your spiritual muscles if at some point you don't learn how to travel without your training wheels. And I deeply appreciate the ministry of Jesus because he tells us what to do, but first... He shows us what to do. Alongside of his teachings is the model of how we too might live as his followers. And he kicks off his risk-taking ministry by first going into the wilderness. All alone. By himself for 40 days. It is reminiscent of Moses and the children of Israel who took 40 years to learn a new way. King David, Elijah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, the Desert Fathers and Mothers, Luther, St. Francis, Roger Williams, and a whole host of spiritual pilgrims have experienced God anew in the scary unknown of a barren frontier. Scripture tells us that God is in the desert and waits for us there. In the desert, God met Hagar and Ishmael, banished through no fault of their own by Abraham and Sarah in what was not one of their finer moments. And before he leads God's people, Moses is a runaway fugitive with a secret identity hiding out in the wilderness before he comes face to face with the true God of his ancestors. Believing he alone was the last remaining true believer on the face of the earth, Elijah retreats to the wilderness before he experiences God, not in the earthquake, not in the whirlwind, 
but in the small, still voice. Prophet Hosea tells us in chapter 2, verse 14 of his book, as God says, come to the desert and I will speak tenderly to your soul. Now, if you're following along with the gift of imperfection by Brene Brown through this time of Lent, you know that we are also creatively thinking about the interior wildernesses of our soul. That there is a landscape within that's important for us to conquer as much as the landscape without. And this week, we are being encouraged to let go of unhealthy perfectionism as we replace that practice and habit by cultivating more compassion, especially self-compassion. Hold on to that description for a minute. Letting go of unhealthy perfectionism and replacing that with a practice of self-compassion and compassion for the world. For first, I need to clear up this idea of perfectionism. Perfectionism, according to Brown, is not denying the impulse to do your best or to try your hardest. Rejecting unhealthy perfectionism is not a speech against self-improvement. Otherwise, all sermons are pointless. No, perfectionism, as Brown explains it, is trying to earn approval and acceptance. Most perfectionists, she says, were raised being praised for achievement and performance, grades, manners, rule-following, people-pleasing, appearance, sports. And somewhere along the way, they and we have adopted this dangerous and debilitating belief system. I am what I accomplish and how well I accomplish it. Please perform, perfect. Healthy striving is self-focused. How can I improve? Perfectionism is always other-focused. What will they think if I don't? And what must I do to gain the approval of others. Which leads me to the theology of the devil. Now the devil has a theology. It may be a poor theology. But it is a theology. And perhaps a very popular one at that. Did you notice in the gospel presentation... The devil is not anti-God. The temptations don't question the existence of God or whether or not Jesus shares a unique status as God's only and holy son. The devil agrees with Jesus' mission to spread his message and to influence the world. And to further validate his cause, the, G the devil can even quote scripture to validate his points. If or because you are the Son of God, he begins, 
Here's what I imagine a son of God would do. He would take care of our needs without question. He would never refuse to feed us. He would make sure that we realized he was number one by making our lives as comfortable as possible. He would always be there to reassure us and placate us with demonstrations of power and glory. He would force us to never question God and demand that we serve God without fault and without error. He would make our lives perfect, at least Perfect according to a superficial standard of religious signs and wonders and short-sighted perspectives. The devil didn't have a problem with Jesus' goals, but only his methodology. And the deception is clear. As long as you say the right things in an attempt to prove your own righteousness... It really doesn't matter what you actually do. As long as there's language about God, especially language that honors God, then you've done your duty. For example, for example, plastering the motto, in God we trust, on all our possessions, and upon our money, perhaps over the entrance of all our schools, is completely well and sufficient. Nothing else is needed. Don't worry about how you actually treat others, especially when in public you demonstrate your loyalty to God. If they want help or assistance or justice, that's their problem, not yours. Thoughts and prayers without meaningful action will be enough. You tick the box of religiosity. And does heaven stand up and applaud? Jesus disagrees and spends his whole ministry putting the specific behaviors of acceptance, inclusion, and forgiveness ahead of any confessions of orthodoxy or piety. His influence is succinctly described by his disciple John, who says, How can you say you love God, whom you've not seen, if you refuse to love your neighbor, whom you can see? How can you offer any kind of legitimate praise and worship to God when you can't see the person at the tip of your own nose as someone worthy of your time, attention, and care? Moralism is not the same thing as developing good morals. And there are no shortcuts on the road to spiritual maturity. And if we demand perfection from everyone without once teaching, demonstrating, and practicing any kind of compassion, then we are just as likely to produce monsters as good role models. Because self-righteousness never saved anyone. Not the person being judged, 
and especially not the person doing all the judging. Jesus understands we don't live in a perfect world. There will be mistakes and failures. The road will get rough and the hills will be steep. But the response is not always a show of dominance and strength, but a practice of humility and understanding. We must pedal through the troubles with patience and coast over the trials with compassion. Whenever things get difficult and you're filled with anxiety concerning our circumstances or your personal problems or the world or your family or our politics or your own failures, Jesus invites us to crank up the tanks of compassion upon which we will fuel our lives and be determined to practice compassion over and over and over and over again until it becomes second nature. Especially if you struggle practicing compassion to be displayed upon yourself. I sometimes tell people who come to see me with a problem, pretend you are talking to your best friend rather than to yourself. What would you say to that treasured friend who is going through the exact same thing you are struggling with? Would you be kinder and more merciful to them than you are being to yourself? And Brene Brown says that if you can develop a small group, not everybody, but a small group of trusted folks who can listen to you without putting more perfectionistic expectations upon you, who allow you to share your shame, your hurts, your difficulties, your fears, in a context of trust and love, someone who can see you vulnerable and accept you exactly the way you are, then you can get past this performance of perfectionism that weighs so heavily upon us and keeps us from joyfully moving ahead. Religious communities fail in their mission when they become oppressive. And so Jesus teaches us how to live with patience and forgiveness and compassion so that we might liberate our lives and in the process liberate those who are around us. What if every single time, every moment that you felt tense and anxious and distant and worried and removed and overwhelmed and frustrated and angry, you slammed on the brakes and said, through the Holy Spirit and the small, still voice within, Mark, it's time for you to raise your game and practice more compassion. That's what this difficulty is revealing. That's the new skill yet to be perfected in your life. Christopher Germer says, a moment of self-compassion can change your entire day. 
A string of such moments can change the course of your life. Take a little time and imagine. Imagine the wilderness. Perhaps a wilderness you are currently facing. The isolation of a path you must take with fearful steps. A path that you know you can only take. And only you know what really it means to be in your shoes at this moment. You think about your fear. What may be ahead. And whether you can meet the challenge. And you get comfortable with the uncomfortable uncertainty of an unknown future. Maybe then you might hear the voice of the divine whispering in your ears. It's going to be okay. And at some point it all comes together. It takes time. It takes practice. You will have a few spills and a few boo-boos. But eventually you learn the proper speed and you get your balance just right and, and you know how to stop without falling. And then before you know it, you don't remember the difficulty it took to overcome the fear. And you acquire the new skills. And off you go. We close our time here with an invitation, an invitation of response, but also an invitation of prayer that you might consider these words that you will sing to be the map, the roadmap to a way ahead for you this Lent. And so I invite you to respond with joy and with faith as we together stand and sing hymn 451. Let us stand and sing.
As we come to the end of our service, I uh, highlight this rose that has been beautifully displayed here on the communion table as a reminder and announcement for those that haven't heard of the birth of a new Stokes Konkin named Edith. Edith Clare was born on Thursday, eight pounds, four ounces, to Charles and Michelle, and we welcome her into the world and into our congregation and pray for Charles and Michelle. They are a little tired and appreciate your encouragement through social media and notes and cards, um, and they are working their way through this new life and adjustment to it. Um, but thank you for their love, uh, your love, and we will see them shortly as they embrace little Edith. Um, also, uh, this week on Wednesday is business meeting. If you wanted to grab a packet in preparation for that meeting on Wednesday night, they're in the foyer. And again, I told you about the uh, negative things of preaching with an iPad last week, but I just got a text from Aaron and there is a cell phone with a flamingo cover that he has found. That identifies a few of you, I'm sure. Um, and so if you don't know where your cell phone is, Aaron has it. And, and people are looking at other candidates saying, do you have yours? Everyone's checking. Um, but that's great. Any other announcements before we leave today? Anybody happy for the sunshine? All right, enjoy it. Rest, take advantage of the Sabbath, prepare your hearts, minds, and bodies for a new week as you now bow for the benediction. Found this time in Hebrews chapter 12. Brothers and sisters, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us rid our lives of every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress, and let us ride and run with endurance the race that God has set before us, knowing that the grace of God and the love of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit goes with us. Amen.